there is a scene where you know Hogarth aims his gun at the Iron Giant and then the Iron Giant aims back. But I think the Iron Giant shot first. Ah! <laughs> oh! <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome back to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm James. And I'm Mike. And this is episode 21, Mike James and Two Smoking Barrels. Welcome back. We finally got that title to work. Yeah, we did. We've been trying for that one for a little bit. Yeah. Also, I like. I feel like we're in super... PR mode at the beginning of this episode here. It's yeah, we very professional we, sounding. You, you were astute when you said jackoffs. It was kind of it was kind of uh, <laughs> uh, unsettled. I can academically say jackoffs. Yes, uh, you know. Um, I thought you were saying we're going to be in PR mode because we're just going to defend ourselves for not oh, said, quite said, sticking to the week uh, the week timeline. I. I NPR and yes, that's true. We did not stick to our week. Um, we were so close on the dot. We were close. We are close. And if we didn't, we would have been have we would have been stuck having to talk about M Night Shyamalan's The Visit, which you are apparently more okay with than I am. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get there. We're not gonna have a big Mrs. America fight or or uh, oh, well, a, a I don't pain and gain fight or anything like that. Um, we'll just, we'll just go over it quickly, um, and then we're gonna review Black Mass, the movie that we waited to see so we could have a, a better episode. Um, mm-hmm. and then we're actually gonna do a third segment, guys. Like a not reviewed <laughs> third happening. segment. It's It's fucking happening. Yeah, that movie I've been telling you guys to see, you five listeners, to see for, like, a month now, if not more than that. Uh, Ruthless People, starring Danny DeVito and Bette Midler. We saw it, and yep. I'm going to talk about it because yeah. I love it. And by it's the awesome. way, by the way, James, um, th- what what um streaming service did you initially say that that film was on? Um, I don't I I don't think I said it was on anything for streaming. Oh, okay. I, I I rented it from Amazon Instant. I, yeah, I rented it from the movie store down the street, and because uh, I, I I remember it being I thought it would it was on Prime streaming video so yeah it's not even a very easy movie to access um so this is a really unknown pick (laughs) yeah these are compliments i'm i'm happy it's it's a movie from three decades ago that i had never heard of that is not readily available on streaming Um, yeah Um, great (laughs) yeah i I only got my as i've as I've said a few times on this podcast, my mom had a habit of bringing, bringing home, when I was younger, bringing home uh, pretty, some pretty bad movies. Uh, but every now and then there was a great one, like The Iron Giant, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, and Ruthless People was one of them. You know, I really, if I flipped those, it would have been just a perfect segment into our into our news. Ah. Uh, but, you know, uh, just well, Ruthless we'll People to... and The Iron Giant. I guess we'll have to put up with this imperfect segue. Ugh. Uh, I've set such a high, a high bar for myself with my segues. So, I know. Um, you did this to yourself, man. I know, I know. I don't even know if that was the order we wanted to talk about it in, but... Uh, hey, let's uh, just do it. Yeah. Uh, Iron Giant is, is coming back to theaters, guys, and if you don't see it, you're missing out We've forever. mentioned this 
we've mentioned this before, um, but we just want to bring it up again because it's coming up, James. What are the dates again? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is the same in every uh, every area, so just check your local theaters. But for me, up in up in the Beeham area, it's playing on the thirtieth and the fourth. Yes, thirtieth and the fourth. So thirtieth of September and the fourth of October. Um, I'm honestly, I might see both. Um, <laughs> I, 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 mean, I cannot. I mean, <laughs> I, thank you. Has anyone? I mean, seriously though, if if anyone has not seen this movie, like it it pains me, and and there's there's a good chance they haven't because like this was a like a criminally underseen movie when it came out that I do believe at least did well on home video, so like that's the saving grace, but like Jesus, like this is it's it's like Pixar level quality, yeah, Um, an apt comparison because obviously. Brad Bird would go on to direct two of Pixar's best movies, the two of Pixar's best best picture winner, best animated picture winners. So yeah, that that too. Um, why isn't Brad Bird making more Pixar movies? Like I don't know. He went he did that whole Tomorrowland thing, and then yeah, yeah maybe he'll go back. Um, well, he he is. He's doing he's doing. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. Incredibles too. So yeah. Uh, um, um, but um, in addition to just re-releasing the movie, um, along with an absolutely bitchin' new poster, um, I must say. I saw that poster. It looks so nice. It's great. It's a profile shot of, of the giant and Hogarth ascending. It's, Man, it's I'm going to – I get teary. I get teary just thinking about that, looking at the poster of this new poster. I'm going to yeah. ball like a little bitch. Uh, I, I, I want to be with you when that happens because uh, you know, I'll probably join you too. Although, you know what? The original poster with the retro 50s, like – uh, you know, propaganda art style was like also amazing. Um, but in addition to just re-releasing the movie, they're also adding two additional scenes, never before seen scenes. That doesn't yep. look very well. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I believe we're both uh, pretty ambivalent about this, or like kind of even worried a bit. Yeah, it's like I'm worried, even though Brad Bird has given me very little reason to be worried. It, it, so I would say that if if uh, there, if this does come with something bad or in the Iron Giant, then Tomorrowland will really mark like a potential turning point in Brad Bird's career. I think that Tomorrowland is really just a, a temporary, you know, you said it, I think when we reviewed it, this is a work of a great filmmaker who's just gone a little off the tracks, you know, it's like... Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not worried about Brad Bird because I legitimately thought that Tomorrowland's a very well-made movie with a like a really odd message and I don't like and an odd mission and I don't understand why it exists but I I understand that there's a lot of talent behind it so I'm not worried about Brad Bird I think he's an insanely talented person um and I don't think that's gone away um, yeah I mean the George Lucas comparisons are I mean when talking about going back and editing <laughs> your movie is 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 inevitable I mean anytime I someone the, talk- I think we're the only ones who made that comparison in the pre-show um and well, no, but I think I think if you're ever going to talk about a, a director going back and changing a film he did, you cannot not think of George Lucas. It's true. I mean, honestly, it's, okay, so I know this is not how we originally want to talk about, like, we didn't want to bring this up, but, like, I have a very, um, I've thought about this a lot, about how I feel about filmmakers going back and changing their movies, and I've kind of resolved, I actually don't care if they do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, you can, you can George Lucas your movie. You can be that bad. Like you, like sometimes I can save it. Like Blade Runner. Blade Runner. I think the final cut of Blade Runner is like undeniably the best version of the movie. I buy that. Um, although there are disputes about that. I think it is. Um, 
But what you don't do is then obliterate the original version and make it inaccessible to everybody. Like, yeah, that's then true. you're fucking with history. I, I'm I'm a tourist. I like legitimately believe that a filmmaker is an artist and like that you know what? If 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 a studio was crippling something in their work and they want to go back and fix it later when they have the authority to do so, I'm kind of interested in what their vision dictates. Yeah, and you don't have to like it better than they do. You but... don't have to like it better. That doesn't make it better, but I, I wanna see it. I'm curious. To me that's like artistically valid. I don't agree with pretend like changing history and pretending like that never happened. That's that's bullshit, and that does happen beyond just George Lucas too. I believe that actually also happened with the release of Evil Dead on Blu-ray. Um, they made digital corrections to that movie to huh. m- fix some of the mistakes. Quote oh yeah, mistakes. well they definitely did. There were there were some there were some mistakes in that. There movie. were many mistakes, a... and they fixed a lot of them with CG. And there was a commentary track on the old DVD of. Um, Evil Dead that was basically one of the best commentary tracks I think that was ever made for a DVD hmm. and ma- made mostly in reference to those mistakes that are now fixed so for the Blu-ray they had to record new commentary um, and it's awful like you cannot access the original version and like Evil Dead is like known for its shoestring budget like it was made by some guy who was like never even Sam Raimi's that guy but like who was <laughs> He was basically going off of whatever money he could scrap together and, like, you know, getting together on weekends with his friends and making this movie. Like, that's the charm. Oh, and the, the friends, by the way, who beat themselves bloody doing this like, yeah. shoot. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you'll see, like, uh, Bruce Campbell, like, get thrown up against, like, this bookshelf that collapses. He threw himself up against a bookshelf. That's how it happened. Yeah. They don't have the, the budget to make this safe for actors. Yeah, and, and you like it for that reason. You don't. It's it's not supposed to be slick and like we want to see the strings. That's why we like mm-hmm. these like small independent movies that end up being insanely successful. So um, anyway, back on topic though. That's how I feel about changing things. And I, I I think that the Iron Giant. Honestly, what I think it'll be more akin to is like when they re-release The Lion King with two extra songs. Like oh yeah, the the songs are they're the two worst songs in the movie, but mm-hmm. and. You you enjoy them okay, but you're also just like, yeah, I can see why they cut this, and I'm happy they did. Like, it, that'll probably be the case with Iron Giant. There'll probably be innocuous scenes. I I cannot imagine any like earth shadowing stuff being added to this movie because everything that's of real substance and value is already there. Um, yeah, no, and the people who love this movie do not want it touched at all. No, like they, no. so um, that's why I think a lot of Iron Giant fans are trepidatious and i know i'm not the only one so now we now uh, get mad if they release the blu-ray of the iron giant at fucking long last um and they don't include the original version then get mad but uh, i still i still have my my digital copy of the of the og uh iron giant cuts so you can't take that away from me yeah there you go unless they do and then amazon's like we replaced it with the better version Ooh, actually um so, James, if I have your permission, can I segue kind of abruptly into – we never really – I think we had, like, two segments. I'm going to abruptly flesh out into a third one, if you don't mind, right Go now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on this subject, because it's actually about Star Wars, um, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to give this too much time um, because this has been rumored time and time again for months if not years ever since disney acquired the rights to star wars people have been speculating whether they will ever come out with the unaltered versions 
on Blu-ray, whether we'll get really remastered high definition versions of the untouched original trilogy movies mm-hmm. that everybody by everybody I mean anyone who's alive in 1977 grew up with. Yep. Um I never got to grow up with this. I've only seen bootlegs. So I would give my money to this so fast it would make my head spin and my wallet burn. And <laughs> we do not have an official confirmation yet, but maybe the closest we've gotten so far because I John Landis, the director John Landis um tweeted that George Lucas and 20th Century Fox have struck a deal with Disney to release the unaltered original trilogy on Blu-ray. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, while Disney does own the rights to Star Wars, they do not own the distribution rights to the original Star Wars movies. That includes episodes mm-hmm. one through six. Those are all owned by 20th Century Fox until the year 2020, except for A New Hope, the original, original Star Wars movie, which they own forever. Um, so the only way this will happen is if they struck a deal with 20th Century Fox. And the only thing is that we do not have an official confirmation on this yet. And it's kind of it'd be kind of weird if Disney and 20th Century Fox struck a deal without a lot of press happening around it. So, but this yeah. is coming from John Landis, so it's interesting. Um, I this is why I don't want to spend too much time on it because this is nothing concrete. Um, and this like I don't want to just spread you know fuel on the rumor fire oh yeah we um, talked about this before like these rumors can come from anywhere and yeah i just wanted to bring degree it up of validity exactly i just wanted to bring it up really quickly because i'm just a massive star wars geek and i'm really excited and i hope this happens so bad and i just made my whole spiel about directorial you know authority to uh you know mess with the original movie um and i i'm just uh i hope this one's real mm-hmm. yeah I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, you you are right. You're you're. I think the most poignant, uh, most poignant point. That's a weird thing to say. Um, I think your best point was just how quickly you'd you'd throw down for this if it came out. Um, and that's I, why I don't understand why it hasn't been made yet. It yeah, let me just, so much money. Yeah, maybe to contextualize why I want to bring this up so bad. Like, let me just phrase it like this: These are, the, the, particularly the first one, the original Star Wars the maybe the foundational blockbusters of american cinema they are like if you're if you're like talking about like just influential widely seen movies that have just become a part of the cultural blueprint like i don't think you can get a more prominent movie than star wars and yet how fucked up is it that we can't see the movie that changed everything today we can't see that movie. We can see George Lucas's remastered version of that movie, mm-hmm. but we can't see that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really weird. It's it's like a piece of American history. It's just inaccessible to everybody. So, all right, let's get into the juicier news. Juicier news, um, more <laughs> gossipy news, I guess. Yeah. Uh, just a little backstory. A few weeks ago, it's I pretty think, gossipy. Yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago, uh, Zack Snyder director of uh, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and uh, Man of Steel, and 300, and uh, so on and so forth, um, said that, uh, he basically said that DC films are a lot better than Marvel films, and referred to Ant-Man as uh, the flavor of the week, and and said that, you know, it's not just another blank man movie, the one he's making, because Batman and Superman are so iconic and so better, and blah, 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 blah. Um, it, was, it was really stupid, whatever, and... 
if the world was less friendly to us, it would those comments would have just died. But the world is our friend, and uh, the guy who played uh, who played Bucky Barnes or the Winter Soldier in Cap in the Captain America movies um, decided he was going to fire back, <laughs> and he did so in a way that we've been hinting at every now and then, and whenever we talk about Zack Snyder's Batman movies, uh, well, Batman or Superman movies, superhero movies. Um, yeah, he said that uh, uh, the films that he's been starring in, the films that Marvel are making, are not trying to mimic a better Christopher Nolan movie, for example. And, I mean, literally, that's exactly the response that I would give to Zack Snyder. More succinctly, more profoundly, in fewer words. So, <laughs> bravo. <laughs> bravo, Bucky Barnes. Uh, yeah, uh, Sebastian Stan is the name for credit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't say that, so don't worry. But yeah, uh, you Zack Snyder totally got got on this real hard. Um, and it's funny too, because like I think Christopher Nolan is has been staying on as a producer for these. Am I, I'm right about that? Yeah, he has been. Um, I'm we, not we've sure. had... I think he's on for Batman vs Superman too. Um, yeah, we. We've had this running theory that Christopher Nolan is just going to stay on producing every Batman film that comes out until he dies to ensure that there's never a better Batman film than the ones that he's made. And to also ensure he can, you know, get a piece of his pie because yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the reason people give so much a crap about Batman movies right now. It's true, yeah. I mean, I'm not... sorry, James. I know you love Batman. I love Batman too. The graphic novels are amazing, but like cinematically everyone still thinks of the nolan movies like that's what they want to go see that's what they wanted to go see when they went to go to man of steel oh yeah they wanted to see like a christopher nolan-esque superman movie instead of batman but turns out turns out zack snyder is really receptive of like tones and shades in the environment like like that he got down um, in terms of thematics, though, he's really uh, he he did not seem to grasp what the Nolan movies were about. See, what I thought you were going to say is that it turns out Zack Snyder is not Christopher Nolan, um, which yeah. that would have been surprising. Yeah, I mean they are in fact different people. That's wildly differing quality in movies. Yeah, that, that blows my mind, but it's true. Hate to say it, Zack Snyder is not quite. Uh... He's he's no Christopher Nolan. Sorry. Oh no, I, I just I love like these spats like this. Um, I mean, the... just okay, okay. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just the the last one I remember. Uh, it's not really a spat, but it was a the common making waves was Sean Sean Penn. Um, Sean, uh, what, what did I say his middle name was? Oh yeah, Sean. Movies used to make people think Penn. <laughs> Sean, I held Madonna hostage. Penn. <laughs> while I was dating her, Penn. Sean, I'm going to star in uh, Star Trek and Mission Impossible movies and then rant about how movies used to be mean something. Penn. Sean, I'm going to get mad at the South Park guys for not convincing people not to vote for George Bush enough, Penn. <laughs> I can't follow that. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> Like, this one in particular makes no sense to me because I don't really know what DC films Zack Snyder's referring to. <laughs> like, 
Well, I think he's he's just basing his argument on the fact that Superman and Batman themselves are more iconic than... But that's the thing, like, people... Right now, I feel like the thing is moving away from icons and iconography. Like, like, superhero movies that have been most successful lately, not counting the Nolan movies... Actually, no, even including the Nolan movies, they've been, like, iconoclast. Like, they've just kind of disregarded things that tend to go along with, like, the genre norms. And... Yeah, there's a lot of more, a lot more unknown superheroes, a lot more uh, ensembles. Yeah, so. even the Nolan films are based on like the '80s Batman's, which are like very revisionist from the original. Like, if, mm-hmm. if you're gonna go off of what is traditionally associated with comic book, like that's not like it, that's yeah, it's iconic, but it's also really simplistic, and it's not it's not nuanced or complicated enough for people to be interested in now. That that's my take on it. Um, like there's also I understand there's also something very wholesome about it and like very um, comforting like I I can still watch the old Christopher Reeve movies and they're very honest straightforward superhero movies and they're yeah they're like I I enjoy them for that because I guess we don't get really many of those you know there's always a there's always a a twist to it whether it be like a tourist or something but you know to superhero movies nowadays and I get that but also, why is that a bad thing? And then, if you're gonna if you're gonna take that down, I guess, what are you gonna fill it with? You can't just say by default, Batman, and Superman are better movies because they have more iconic characters. That's yeah. No, it's that's uh, such a shallow way of looking at it. I do have to wonder how much I didn't I didn't read the uh, original uh, interview because it's really hard to find. All it is is people reporting about his comments. Um, and I, I would love to know if how much he was baited into, you know, saying that if he was asked for, you know, what do you think are the benefits of like DC versus Marvel, for example. Um, but even so, I, I just don't see a point to this. It's like, you're not just because you, even if you do have better subject matter, which is debatable, that doesn't mean you make better movies and, you know, you need to show it in your film and not in, you know, what you're, you're not in your source material. Yeah. I mean, maybe the difference between like my take and Zach, like our take and Zack Snyder's take is that like his seems to be based on what characters their studios have the rights to. Um, and like, I think our basis for thinking the way we do is that Marvel has legitimately made way better business decisions and hired much more talented people. Um, and like carefully crafted their insane conglomerate, franchise empire bit by bit they built it very hard in front of all like very carefully in front of all of our eyes and we're very successful at it um so from i mean maybe maybe the real credit for marvel is on a business front but either way whatever they're doing is working and whatever dc is doing is catch up so yep <laughs> god that suicide squad movie justice league movie it's <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, Will Smith's become a meme. I think from that movie. Now, now there's always his his line in the trailer where he's just like, "So that's it, huh? With some kind of Suicide Squad." Yeah. They've been they've been they've been re the internet's just been like reappropriating that line to different movies, um, like uh, "So that's it, huh? We just a few good men." Just a few good men. Pretty much just just like just like every single movie should have Will Smith saying that line. Um, except rephrasing it to include the title of that movie. That wouldn't work for his next movie coming up, but... <laughs> what movie is that? 
Uh, concussion? <laughs> so, so that's it, huh? I got some kind of concussion? <laughs> Mr. Smith, that's what we've just told you. So that's it. Yeah, but I have a concussion. I'm supposed I got to know some that. kind of concussion. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps repeating it. I'm really sorry. Let's, uh... Well, um, shit. I Sicario. You, I, I told you we're jack off. Sicario. That's my transition. Sicario. Just, just, just get us away from Will Smith having a concussion. Yeah. Um, um, uh, Sicario is... I think it's out in some places, but not for it's me. Out, it's out here. Fuck you. Um, uh, so, <laughs> I gotta hire a hitman to go kill you. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry, that was... Oh, uh, I was extreme. expecting like a pun or like a joke in there somewhere, but no, it's just I I want to. to Sicario is Spanish for hitman. Oh, oh, there there it is. Okay, sorry, I'm just, I'm just slow. I just got the, that's fine. That's fine. Just, just a tad dull in the head. <laughs> yeah, because uh, so they're already even, despite it, it's not being out everywhere. They're already uh, developing a sequel um, to Sicario that will still star Benicio del Toro. Um, I think. Anyway, I haven't actually seen how the the movie ends, so he could die. Who knows? Um, but uh, let's just talk about what a wonderful actor Benicio del Toro is. I know. Uh, man, it's hard to it's hard to believe when I see like his more more recent filmography. It's hard to believe that that's the same guy I saw in in not Ruthless People, The Usual Suspects. Um, I was like, he's been great for about two or three decades now, and he could do he could do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know the um? Did you ever see the Terry Gilliam movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? No, no, I missed. James, you're a journalism major, all right. Everyone was like douchily quoting Hunter S. Thompson because because they read it for the first time last summer. I <laughs> know. But yeah, he played the Benicio del Toro played the Doctor Gonzo, the lawyer, the namesake of Gonzo journalism. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Didn't even uh, kind of had a double take on that one. I always forget it's him. I know, there's a lot of those like that, and man, I'm so excited to see Sicario if it ever should come to the theater that I'm yeah. uh, nearest to. I don't know why it's not, I, I, I'm not only next to Podunk Theaters. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I'm I'm getting excited though. I, I, I'm happy we have some more time to prepare, because I want to rewatch some of that director's other films, and like, we can do a whole, you know, talk, you know, a talk about basically his recent filmography up to this because it, it's been kind of like it's the same director who did Prisoners and Enemy and uh, Incendie back in 2010 um, mm-hmm. so he's and I, like I saw a, Prisoners and in, uh, and I've seen saw... I've seen Enemy actually and, no. and have no, either no. of us seen Incendie? Uh no I have not seen Incendie no I've seen sorry I've seen Enemy and I have not sorry no I've seen Prisoners I have not seen Enemy um, and I have not seen Incendie Oh okay yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah they're they're both uh, pr- both prisoners and enemy are are pretty good. Um, so they definitely they have the weirdest, generated a lot of conversation. They have a, the weirdest cult following. Um, yeah, well that's kind of the <laughs> thing about this do. guy, and, and that, that that's why I'm interested by him, because um, I kind of want to dissect him, because I still don't really know. I, I I haven't I haven't reached a consensus on him yet. Um, but he's definitely f- interesting to talk to, and he's also directing the next Blade Runner movie. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Which apparently there's an next Blade Runner movie. I, I don't know. It's it's in pre-production. There's no like set release year even yet. Um, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what to make of this. Um, definitely an interesting choice in director though. Um, and I'm sure one that makes a lot of people happy. Better than, you know, just imagine the world where they announced George Lucas was going to direct the next Blade Runner project. Oh, God. Don't, why would you even put me through that? I haven't gone to bed yet. I can't have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Um, yeah, I'm going to see it for the, since it didn't come out this week, um, we didn't, we didn't have uh, much to see. There was Black Mass and then there was a visit, so, um. We we saw the visit and they were like we should see another movie to review. I I, I like texted James begrudgingly, being like, are we are we just doing the visit this week? Can we do something else? I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to do the visit. Yeah, he doesn't. In the pre-show, I was like, I feel like we got to talk about it. We've said we're going to talk about it. We covered you know, it in the post. Yeah, out. and I'm like, you can talk about it. I don't like. I'll 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 chime in. Every yeah. now and then, but I don't. Yeah. Uh. So I actually like almost really like this movie, and because I didn't really like it, I kind of hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hate is a strong word, but I I'm just so let down. Um, it's a it's... strong, accurate word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. To... So everyone knows, everyone who's seen any of the trailers knows what it's about. Like, children go to their grandparents' house. For some reason, they're recording it because it has to be found footage. And then the grandparents are weird and possibly murderous. I mean, it's, you know, they're they're crazy. Quite literally. It's, it's basically M. Night Shyamalan's take on Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> That's... Yeah. Which, um, which, which, on paper, you know, is like kind of interesting. Yeah, and actually, I remember kind of like you being. You're, I remember you're being pretty. Uh, um, I, I don't want to say excited, but you were you were definitely looking forward to the visit if it had a particular also, feel to it. So it's also his like first independent movie in a long time. In fact, maybe ever. I don't know. I, I'm actually not sure. I'm not, I'm not a huge aficionado of Night Shyamalan's production history. Well, I mean, I know he did he did produce this, but he did do so alongside Jason Blum and Blumhouse um, productions. But I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how much of a hand he that's had. That's true, that. but that's true. But it was also shot for five million dollars with like largely, you know, unknown actors, more or less. Um, and he ex- more or less unknown, or more or less actors. <laughs> James, what's the difference? I <laughs> uh, they and he wrote like he wrote this. This isn't. Yep. You can't you can't peg any of this on Will Smith this time. Um, no, yeah. This is this is an M Night Shyamalan like brainchild. You know, it's it's so his that, baby. So um, that's it, huh? It's After Earth. <laughs> and yeah, he. This is. This is his movie. He's got no one else to pin it on, as you said. Um, and this one too, they were they were not shying away from the fact that it was directed by M Night Shyamalan. They were advertising it all over the place. And, and, well, while they were advertising it, they were overlooking his his missteps. You know, well, they were like I think, from the director I, I, of mm, Sixth Sense and Signs. You know, not very uh, the director of. This deliberate, though. This was very deliberate. They were trying to get this to be like this is his comeback. This is his first like really. Um, 
personal movie that he owns and like this is fully M. Night Shyamalan for the first time in you know god knows how long he's not working with pre-existing material like in Avatar or Last Airbender uh, he's not working with Will Smith uh-huh. after Earth or with a script he didn't write this is this is all him um, and I think they were confident that that would be able to market the movie yeah and I, I mean it's done okay at the box it's done okay so at the box yeah so I, I can't begrudge them for that but yeah I, this is no reason to get excited for a movie if yeah my all. my review is going to be pretty spoiler heavy i think there's some good stuff here overall but as you know you especially with the new movies coming out you could skip it if you haven't already seen it um speaking of and if you haven't already seen it skip the next like 10 minutes because as i said it's going to be spoiler heavy because it just has to be because my opinion on the movie is really contingent on its on its ending um and and not its m night Shyamalanian twist um see that that's where we differ because for me the whole like craft of the movie the whole like everything going into it is just absolute balls and i i don't to me the ending was not a betrayal of what came before it was a continuation and a climax of all the shittiness that had Hmm. come in the first two-thirds yeah we had we had definitely different experience because i mean m night Shyamalan, i don't think he's proven himself to be the best at creating at creating uh you know genuine genuine horror um as time went on of course uh he definitely showed some some promise early on but um and he he was trying here, and he created he created good atmosphere, good good tension at times. He fell he fell a victim to the inevitable tempting jump scares every now and then. Um, but I think he overlooked those. He had some, as I said, some genuine spooks. Uh, good environment there. Um, and but my favorite part was just the the development of the of the two main characters, uh, Rebecca and Tyler. Um, the they're the um, I don't know, grandchildren. <laughs> That's the word that I could not think of. Grandchildren. Yeah, um, there you go. It's a, it's, it's one of them it. likes to rap, the other one. No, it, <laughs> to me, like up until the end, it was it was a movie about these these children both getting over trauma and and simul- while simultaneously experiencing this incredibly new weight of trauma. Um, you know, they each had their they each had their own little moments where they had to uh, confront their their past demons. I mean, uh, th- throughout the movie too, not just like in in one one culminating spot. And I thought that was, honestly that was pretty powerful for me. So you know, I, it okay. sounds like you didn't you didn't get any of that. No, no, but... no, no, no. Let me just ask you: Do you really think that these performances convey a sense? Like, you can't just give a character contrived trauma and then make that a complex performance like do you do you really think that the performances of these children like conveyed that and and like we said a similar thing about it follows and that was a great movie with like fantastic performances and and really interesting writing and characterization that okay so yeah i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna hear you out on this but i want to make i want the, I want it to be on record that I'm not comparing this no, to no, no. Apollo. I understand. <laughs> I understand, but we made a similar point about it in terms of it mm-hmm. kind of being a or or I'm sorry, even the I think the Babadook was a better example. Like uh, in terms of being a movie about trauma, um, that's a movie that really explored the nature of 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 trauma and tragedy and loss and its effect on people. Um, do do you think that these kids reflected that? at all 
because I, I didn't, I didn't. I will say that it does sort of hand, the movie does sort of hand it hand their uh, it hands their basically with the situation they've been into it hands it to the audience. It, it sort of force feeds it, you know, like he's a germaphobe, you know, she can't look at herself in the mirror, things like that, um, you know. It, so, it, but I think what it does from that, it builds off that you know shaky foundation pretty well, um, you know, and. On the on the germaphobe thing, I thought that and in, in to answer your question about the children's performances, I thought they when he thinks there's like you know germs that he can't get off on his hand, and she goes and grabs tissues and starts rubbing it off his hands and say, no, no, I'm definitely getting it. It's like I, I thought that was that, I thought that sort of portrayed it pretty well. Um, what you're talking about, with, you know, it, it seemed really genuine to me because she was very. She wasn't like doing something stupid, like calling him stupid or or yelling to his mom like, "Ha, he has, he's afraid of germs" or something like that. It it, it didn't, it felt mature to me, both from a filmmaking and from the actual character perspective. Um, to me, though, all this sort of like fell apart after after the the not the twist after the after the what could have been, I think, a pretty good ending. I texted Mike after the after was this the one you said. Movie. Yeah, the, that I thought it had a, a mild, which I would now upgrade to at least a serious case of uh, of um, nymphomaniac syndrome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, I forgot which movie you had attributed that to. Um, yeah, that's the that's the idea. If you've seen the entire director's cut of Nymphomaniac, that it, well, it's a question anyway. Can the last ninety seconds or so of a movie completely ruin the rest of it? Uh, I think for Nymphomaniac, it definitely definitely weighed on it in a for bad way. Maniac, that's an argument i will accept for for the visit no yeah it, it, it was not a movie that it was not a movie that was crafted well enough in the setup for me to warrant that for it to warrant that kind of praise like to me that's too much that's like way too much praise to lop on it that the last yeah, no. nine seconds ruined it no, it's it's just that I cannot I, I don't understand that that last part. So what what happens is that turns out the grandparents weren't their grandparents and they tried to kill him and then they ended they're up schizophrenic. They're uh, schizophrenic patients. like mental patients who escaped and murdered their actual grandparents. Blah blah blah. Who cares? Um, yeah, it's dumb. And then they they escape and they get and you, you re, they escape by the way th- as I said facing their demons. So they sort of face it and then they have this whole new thing that weighs on them of oh you, we were just basically kidnapped and had to murder people to stay alive but that's what the film completely ignores because it then goes to a scene where their mom explains to them explains to the daughter that she shouldn't hold on to hate for their estranged father who's only mentioned in dialogue what that has nothing to do with anything it, like that was something they had <laughs> talked about but that was just <laughs> her her character that did not need to be like tied up that neatly and and, and it's like she had already sort of like faced the demons yet there's a there's a scene where she has to like look at herself in the mirror and you know sort of fight her way to fight her way out of there it's basically her it her well how am i trying to say this it's her realizing that she has self-worth you know um which is what what the, the brother had told the audience that she struggled with so I, I will say it's not it's not the most tactful uh use 
portrayal of this uh, these demons. But still, she had already gone through a complete character arc, and then my Shyamalan was just like, okay, let's put this right on top at the end. After all the the height of the action ends, like, oh, you shouldn't hate your 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 father, and it's like, is this really what you need to be worrying about right now? It's just the you, you, your children almost died, okay? <laughs> they had to murder people. And you're saying, oh well, well, don't hate your father, even though he left you. That's not the that's not the issue here. I mean, and, we can have a, also a conversation about M Night Shyamalan's like how surreal it is watching a comedy horror movie directed by M Night Shyamalan, because this is a guy who I do not think like understands legitimate like how humans react to things, which is why I, I think I, I kind of hate him as a filmmaker because he doesn't really understand the reactions that his dialogue warrants out of people it's re- no uh, there's several times when you laugh and you're not sure if you're supposed to so i, no, I, I know i'm not supposed that, to yeah. i'm i know that like, he's trying to scare me and i'm laughing like it's not he has a very weird sense of ear like the sixth sense was not a horror movie it was very eerie and there are no moments mm-hmm. in that movie that are like trying to scare me and i think that he just got cat like typed as a horror director after that because then he made films like Signs in the Village and Lady in the Water that tried to be, and The Happening in particular, that tried to be creepy. Or not, not just creepy, they tried to scare you. They tried to be, like, at least in part horror movies. And every single time they just fucking crack me up. They're hilarious. And then when and my Shaman's trying to be funny, like having the kid fucking say singers' names instead of curse words... It's the dumbest fucking thing in the world, and I just want to leave. I just want to turn, like, I just want to leave the movie. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I can, I can definitely, hear, I can definitely hear your complaints about it. I think there's, I think there's more to it than, um, than honestly he gives himself credit for, than you give him credit for. Um, I just, he just could not stick, stick the landing. As the he couldn't get here. He couldn't get on top of the balance beam, James. <laughs> he couldn't get on top of the balance beam. All right, let's move on. Let's, yeah, move let's on. do that. Uh, the so the rescue film, the relief picture, if you will, of this week was was just, Black Mass. Just some meat, just something more. Yeah, yeah. Directed yeah. by Scott Cooper, based on the real life uh, gangster, um, I, I, you, Irish mafia you, man. Irish mafia man James Whitey Bulger, James who is Whitey a Bulger. much more contemporary figure than I um, thought. He was. I, I, I don't ask. Oh I, yeah, he. I very recent. Movie, he got arrested in like the 2010s, right? I think it was 2011. Um, yeah. I went in this movie knowing absolutely nothing about. I had heard the name. I kind of thought he was a gangster from the 50s. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, no. Uh, so I learned a lot. <laughs> um. Yeah, portrayed I think, show, showingly by uh, showily. <laughs> In a showy manner by um, uh, Johnny Depp. People are really, you know, advertising this as, like, Johnny Depp's, like, big comeback role. Yeah. Um, And it's weird that a man like that needs a comeback role, but after doing, like, Transcendence and uh, Mordecai, you know, he he needed a a film like this to say. I mean, the thing is, for the longest time, people were saying he needs to stop working with Tim Burton. And then he stopped working with Tim Burton, and then he made Lone Ranger... And Mordecai, and you know, what, what, transcendence, yeah. transcendence, like you had mentioned. Um, and everyone's like, maybe, maybe you should go back to working with Tim Burton. Keep working with Tim Burton, yeah. But no, he found his like, he found his own thing here, and it's one of those like, I, I mean, at the moment, right now, in this, 
in this early in the season, I can't see uh, another person that's going to be nominated over him uh, for for best actor. It's one of those like, as I said, kind of showy. It's it's transformative. He has different. He has blue contacts. He changes his voice. You know. Yeah, Johnny Depp's performances. I I wanted that may be the main thing I want to talk about because it's the it, main thing I care about in this movie. To be honest. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I think there are some other great performances though that are worth mentioning. Um, particularly Joel Egerton, again, just I know, right? What a what a pro! <laughs> Every he's just showing up all over the place. Um, and I have nothing but good things to say about him. But um, I can try and do this. I can t- I can I can try and do this summary. I think I can do it. Okay, um, all right. Just really quick, couple sentences. Basically, it covers the the story of Whitey Bulger throughout the seventies and eighties. Um. Uh, when he kind of became, when he essentially became an FBI informant, informing on the Italian gangs in North uh, in North Boston, um, whom he was, you know, disputing for territory. Um, Joe Egerton being the FBI guy, he is informing too. Um, then basically, the result of that is that the FBI pursues those people leaving Whitey Bulger to essentially take over the entire city and grow from uh, like who he legitimately at the beginning is just a petty neighborhood, you know, mobster. Um, and in the end, essentially owning the entire city and becoming one of the most infamous gangsters in modern memory. Yeah. I think that was nice. Thanks. Not as, not as smooth as I, you know, as I've done, you know, it's a couple other ones I've done, but well, I mean, with movies like this, it's a, it's a biopic. It's hard to it's hard to really say w- yeah. what it's about, you know what. So, and, except for the person whom it's about. Yeah, and because it is a biopic, I'm like also going in very um trepidatious again. I guess that word's coming up again, but very trepidatious about it because I just don't trust biopics anymore. <laughs> They, um, <laughs> they really, they just come off so disingenuous to me. Like you're trying to capture an entire person by highlighting only their most prominent, you know, the most prominent events in their life. Um, and that always just comes off being really weird and false to me. Like it doesn't really capture a sense of who the person was. So I kind of judge a biopic on how well I think it reflects um kind of who this person was on a day-to-day basis, how well I feel like I know them. And I actually, like, on that premise, I have to give a lot of credit to um, to this film and to direct, you know, director Scott Cooper and particularly Johnny Depp because um, my favorite parts of this movie were pretty much anything that focused on a detail of a scene. The little, just the little moments, uh, a guy, like, you know, Whitey Bulger commenting on a guy, you know, putting his hands in his mouth and then putting him down, you know, putting it back in a uh, container of peanuts that's supposed to be for everyone and like getting his germs (laughs) all over the place. You know, those are like, or like, you know, the scene that they were advertising, which actually may be one of my favorites in the movie about the, uh, you know, about the steak, the the family recipe for cooking a steak. Oh yeah. Um, Those are some of the best scenes in the movie. And, like honestly, they stand out to me from the rest of it because I feel like they actually give you a real sense of who Whitey Bulger was. Um, yeah, and you know I'm or is I, he's alive? He's still alive. Why am I? He is still, still alive. Yeah, that he's alive. Still alive and in jail. Um, yeah, I, you know, I had said earlier that it's 
Johnny Depp's performance is probably the only thing I, I care about talking about. And it's not to say that I didn't like the rest of the movie. I, I definitely did. Um, and I liked how it had a pretty good slow burn. Um, I had said this a few times before. Um, it, it, its pacing reminded me of that of A Most Violent Year, which I don't know if you've seen yet. Um, I haven't. I'm still, I still want to very badly. Yeah, it Start just seemed like they were these actors. things slowly actors. build up to a, to a boiling point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not like a, a, a you know, it's people expecting, people going into this movie expecting something like The Departed are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. It's not, uh, it's not a, like, action-packed, like, nail-biting, you know, you know what? No, uh, no, 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 crime no, no, story. No, no, no. The, the Departed was not action-packed. The Departed was well-paced. The Departed yeah, was, yeah. like, impeccably timed. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, if I'm saying that I really like this movie in close-up, it, like, it, I think it kills it in close-up. Um, in the long shot, it it kind of drops the ball a bit, I think. Um, this movie's How do you mean? Paced, I, I mean, the movie's paced very strangely. Um, and honestly, a bit confusingly. Like, it, like if, I, if you were to ask me right now, like, the entire Whitey Bulger story in terms of, like, who everyone in his crew is... I would be at a loss. Like I had to reference Wikipedia after I saw this movie to like actually get a clear sense of who everyone outside of Johnny Depp and Joel Egerton and um, like uh, Benedict honestly, Cumberbatch. Yeah, and Benedict Cumberbatch were um, like Jesse Plemons' character, Kevin Weeks, who is the opening. Like the opening shot is on his face, or I think that's the second mm-hmm. shot. Um, and the movie is framed kind of like almost in like a Sorkin-esque way. It's framed um, like in an interrogation of of Jesse Plemons' character. Yeah, I mean, it's a literal retelling of, yeah. of James Whitey Bulger's life in that time yeah. period, you know. And I – and then Jesse Plemons gets like maybe a, a scene or two. No, he's, a, the, he's a footnote for the rest of the movie, and yeah. he's gone. I don't know anything about his character at all. Um, and, and, and he's used as a framing device. I'm really confused to, as to why that was the creative decision they chose to go with and then not really elaborate on that at all. Um, uh, uh, Jesus, Rory Cochran's character, uh, Stephen Fleming, I like. I constantly got him mixed up with... Uh, fuck. Not Corey Stoll. Um, th- there are a lot of characters in this movie. I do not. There, yeah, there's still. I still cannot get them straight. And I, since it's a biopic too, like people come in and out a lot. You know, like Corey Stoll doesn't show up until like the last fourth of the movie, maybe. Yeah, and then you know, it, but, and then he plays. Honestly, I mean, look, you can hide behind this is a true story, whatever. I'm just judging this on film narrative. Yeah, he just comes off as the most like overused trope of the cop who's got to clean up this city and gonna take down the corruption and he does it and he doesn't take anything from he does Joel it in Egerton. the last he does it in about the last 15 minutes too like i don't yeah it's weird i feel like the most interesting parts of this movie were glossed over um biographically but then again like i like i said there, there are these like tiny intimate scenes or like you know bulger playing fucking cards with his wife with his wife his mom mother. yeah yeah with his mother like those are great I, I really think those scenes had power, and they kind of they told me something about White Boulder. You know, and I, I, I had an experiment with this movie about Johnny Depp's performance, um, yeah. and it's you've you've instilled it in me ever since uh, watching, um, the Fox, Fox, Catcher. Fox Catcher. Yeah, yeah. If you if I if I could close my eyes and still hear Johnny Depp, then he didn't do a good job, and I tried it. Yeah, yeah. And he definitely did. 
Uh, he definitely yeah, he did. That, that's kind of the thing. I was I was kind of thinking about that too. Um, I had Foxcatcher in my mind because looking at him, uh, at Johnny Depp on the poster, it looks like the poster of all, Steve Carell. Yeah, it's all affectation. It's all like the contacts and the, the glasses, the, 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 glasses the bald and the, cap, and the, the blonde bald, hair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all makeup. And then mm-hmm. I, I was really like not trusting this. I wasn't at all. Um, and it took me a couple scenes actually to get used to it because I still saw Johnny Depp. By the end of the movie, I legitimately bought it like completely. It, it's it's a pretty staggering performance. I really like it. It's still showy. Um, and this is going to be this is a terrible comparison because this is not even close to Daniel Day Lewis level. But Daniel it, Daniel Day Lewis is showy too. Yeah. Like, oh, yes, he is. He, so, he so, revels in it. Yeah. I'm wrestling with this because there, there's definitely different schools of acting, and people have different opinions on this. And, and for people who, <laughs> like, some critics do not like a capital A acting. You know, mm-hmm. some some think it's the medium of film yields better results for more naturalistic performances. I'm on the fence, but I, I think it works. I think it works when it works. Um, I'm not going to write either one off all the time. This, yeah, I think it's definitely a more you know it when you see it type type of deal. Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it, it's like Johnny Depp really was nuanced in this approach. He did not let the fucking bald cap or the contacts or the you know they he did not the makeup do the acting for him. And it's even simple stuff like being able to pull off a convincing accent. You know, he he sold that's, me as this like Boston gangster. You know, that's true. That's that's kind of one problem with. Like movie set, gang movie set in Boston, and The Departed had this a little bit. Uh, Just a little bit. (laughs) Is that Boston accent is like really hard? If you're not a natural speaker, it's really obvious you're doing a Boston accent. Yeah. And and neither of us are from Boston, but I think we can still tell. Um, You know, it's funny too. Speaking of people from Boston uh, who could do really good Boston accents, I heard that. uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were actually working on a Whitey Bulger project. Um, really? Yes, that is, of course, not not really going to happen uh, now that this one is out. Any word? Oh, I was going to ask any word on when Matt Damon's going to finish that script and Ben Affleck's going to put his name on it. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, but... <laughs> Um, also speaking of accents, um, how surprising is it to see, to hear a fucking Boston accent coming out of Benedict Cumberbatch's face? Yeah, I know. Th- I, honestly, that one was less believable. Like, I think that, far that as... was by far less believable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, actually, I mean, in all, in all honesty, I actually don't think he gave a very good performance. No, no. And honestly, it was like, sometimes I thought he was just being, speaking in a British accent when he was doing it. I'm like, are you... What are you right now? Are you just low class British? Is that your Boston? Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> it was it was a bit strange. He was only in a handful of scenes anyway. Yeah. Um, although, isn't that like that's kind of crazy to me that Whitey Bulger's brother was the most powerful politician? No, I know. I think just... the story succeeds too a lot in that, and just how amazing the story itself is. That you know, like, well, especially you don't really have. To... You don't really have to embellish it that much because it's just so naturally fascinating. Yeah, especially for the, you know, toward the end of the, you know, his fugitive days, which they don't cover. They just sort of gloss, gloss over it, but still they gloss over it in text at the end, so that's fine. Um, yeah. That he was actually on the FBI's most wanted list for like 12 years, um, yeah. and 
he they didn't say this in the in the movie, but I I read it afterwards that he he was second on that list only to Osama bin Laden. That's nuts. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. And then he was just out of the blue arrested without incident at a at a hotel where he'd been yeah. staying under an alias. Like that's. See, I found that fascinating. It was a very unromantic conclusion to the story, um, which I liked, although it swept it under the carpet in what was practically a post-credit sequence. Yeah, it, it might as well have been, but it might as well. Have been. It wasn't actually. It was pre-credits, I guess. But like, it might as well have been. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. You, you also have to wonder. I had wondered this. Like, why was that even? Why was that scene even shot? You know. <laughs> Because I, it, no. Here's the thing. I I think it should have been shot. I don't think it should have been shot the way it was. There's yeah. No, I agree like, with there, that. There, yeah. There's something like poetically satisfying to me about this like completely unromantic, you know, unglamorous comeuppance for this guy. Like no, it's it's cathartic for nobody, um, and that's just kind of how it plays out sometimes. And it kind of subverts the whole like oh crime, do-. like because really if you don't have that scene in there. The moral at the end of this movie, moral is a dumb word, but like really the, the takeaway take is Brian yeah. doesn't pay. Like, you know, and that that's kind of what I hate about certain gangster films is that we're really fascinated by the, you know, by the crime and violence we're seeing. And then they can't really think of anything else to do with it besides crime doesn't pay. And like, that's why, that's why they think the director likes Scorsese or, you know, uh, you know, Cop- Coppola, obviously with the Godfather, but like, yeah. it, we're great directors in the genre can like actually use our, uh, you know, investment in these, not just these people, but also our fascination with violence. Um, to their advantage as filmmakers and as artists. And I, like, I don't think, like, the thing about Scott Cooper, the director, is that he's, like, technically, I have found very little wrong with his movies. I have not mm-hmm. seen really Out of the Furnace much. Um, I've seen Crazy Heart, I've seen Black Mass, and both of them just leave me feeling weirdly empty. Like, they're clearly, like, he's clearly got a great technical crap like his the, the, sh- the shots in this movie this is certain shots are just fantastic i just i don't know i don't think he has a vision to apply them to i don't think he has any like concrete real you know cinematic mission to you know to appeal to he's just he, he's he knows how to wield the camera but he's not painting anything yeah no i i i think he gets he definitely gets a, a more of a pass just for it being a biopic, but it, I when I watch, I yeah, had exactly. that same. That's why, that's why it went down easy, and that's why I'm really not like I'm. I'm still positive on the movie, but like, yeah, no, I had that same feeling when I when I saw um, Out of the Furnace, so I understand that, and yeah, I think and I had the same feeling. This style hard, works honestly. better with with the biopic. I think that's basically, mm-hmm. especially one like this that didn't have that uh, that big you know, cheering ending or anything like that. Yeah, Big applause. Yeah. It was subdued. Yeah. Cause with a biopic, you don't really need a, um, like a th- an overall theme really to the movie. It can just be like, a, this story was really fascinating. Here's how it played out. I just wanted to tell it to you. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, honestly you should have more. It's just, but you don't really need one as much to, to compel people. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a very fine movie. I, I, I liked it a lot. I, it's probably the best movie we both could have seen last weekend. Because Sicario is not playing where you are. Um, I mean, and to be fair, it's it's only in like two theaters near where I am. Yeah. Of which movie pass. So. I mean, Phoenix was still playing at the limelight. So. 
Phoenix is not playing at a theater near me that takes movie pass. I'm I'm pissed. I can't. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Hey, wait. That means you can see it again for free. I, I I want to see it again. It's a great. It's still my favorite movie this year so far. Yeah. No. Definitely. I don't think Black Mass didn't didn't really encroach on its territory. Yeah. Maybe number two. No. 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 If if we can take a brief aside here, we both overall I think recommend Black Mass and think Johnny Depp yes, did a great do. job. So. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely recommend it. It's just not one I'm going to. You know, this isn't really a contender for me for you know best of the year. It's it's not one I'm gonna remember very long. Um, technically a very fine movie, um, great performance by Johnny Depp. Um, same with Joel Egerton, and really a lot of the fringe performances. Actually, that, that's another thing though, I, I did want to talk about. Some of the more casual scenes with them just like bullshitting in bars. They did kind of come off as like weirdly stilted versions of like scenes I've seen in Scorsese movies that were better. Like something out of Goodfellas, but like Scorsese's really good at directing natural directing these scenes naturally. Like they play out like they're basically improv. Um whereas like with this film, it, it's like they're going for a similar tone, but everything is so rigidly scripted that it doesn't come off as being naturalistic at all. Yeah. Um and that's clearly what they're going for, so I don't yeah. It was so some of the French performances were actually really great. Like Jesse Plemons fucking killed it mm-hmm. in the three scenes he was in. Um but others just kind of were really like really stilted. I don't know. It was it was odd. I don't know. But yeah, no overall recommendation. Just just a brief aside because we talked about Phoenix. I um I regret that I wasn't able to ask you this question when we were reviewing it. I mm-hmm. where does this stand in the in this year's Oscar race? Because it's a foreign film. Yeah, but I, I think do, it also I, may I, have so, came out last year somewhere. So the thing is, it, it'll. Yeah, it's technically a 2014 movie, but then Ida was technically a 2013 movie. Okay, so it would still be eligible this year. I believe so. Um, I, I I don't know their actual criteria for that kind of thing because it's really complicated. Like I've tried looking into it and it's hard. I know. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm not even gonna try to guess that, but I think it I think it will be. Yeah, um, it's it's just it's. It's weighing the tragedy of the foreign language film Oscar is weighing on me even more. That right now, what is my favorite film of the year might not even be put forth for nomination. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's not. It might not even be. It eligible. has to be not. It has to be. A country has to choose. Yeah. Has to this movie, um, and only one per country can make it, and it has to be in the same language that is native to that country, mm-hmm. and um, God. Ugh. The same reason why like Cachet couldn't be nominated for Best Foreign Film when it came out. So I know, it, stupid. It, so stupid. I, I'm. I'm. It just really. It, it gets me fuming when I talk about it too much. But yeah, yeah for I'll, me, I'll, I'm. I'm going to be surprised this year if something else surpasses it. Right now, just looking at the remaining films coming out. Well, there's also the question of campaigning, and I'm not really sure Phoenix has been doing much. Like I, I only know about this movie because the reviews i saw it's not getting a lot of press at all i i yeah and the reviews i, I saw it on a flash up on the metacritic like homepage like for one day and then i was like oh what's that um yeah so yeah <sighs> it is i mean yeah i mean as of right now it's the seventh best reviewed movie of 2015 according to metacritic um but that's also counting films that do not have a proper release yet including um charlotte kaufman's uh um, and um, Ali. I can't. I can't, I can't say that word either. So I know what you're referring to. But... Anomalisa. No, I've heard it pronounced before. I just was. Ah. 
reporting on it. And Todd Haynes' Carol, which like really made a, a huge stir at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, so films that haven't even really been properly, you know, received yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's that that's really the only way I know about it. <laughs> the only reason I knew about it at all. Um, so boy, am I happy we we seeked it out. I'm not holding my breath at the for its chance of the Oscars, and I don't care. It's still my favorite film I saw this year so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was my it was my fortieth film, fortieth film, and I've now seen forty four. So I'm nice. I'm eight shy of of one a week. Uh, for... You know what's weird though is that if you were to make a top ten list right now, you would still have to select essentially a fourth of the movie. Uh, Oh yeah. Like this like this is I'm just saying this is how like many movies you have to see to make a really meaningful top ten list. It's it's true. It's yeah. it's, it's it's really hard. Hey, but I'm only like three quarters of the way through the year, so I still got time. Congratulations to you. Alright. Yeah. Great job. Regardless, let's move on to the third set the fabled third segment that we've uh, oh, yeah. It's here. <laughs> Forgotten favorite. I'm I'm putting this forward. Finally, it's Ruthless People, directed by the same guys who made the airplane, um, who made the airplane. It's like <laughs> they made the airplane. They, they actually brothers. they invented the airplane. Um, <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, this is that... actually their second to last move. Well, no, sorry, they directed the whole Naked Gun series, but this was their last film before that series. Yeah, um, I think that if I can just, just I, ho- I hope it. Our people have gotten the gotten the chance to watch it. If not, please do, and then come back to this segment because this is definitely going to be one where we pick apart in uh, what I hope is going to be a good way. Um, but just to sum up the plot quickly, um, Danny DeVito plays this millionaire um, who his wife is kidnapped, and the kidnappers demand a ransom. Little do the kidnappers know that uh, Danny Vero was actually planning to murder his wife to get her fortune. Um, uh, so she is happy to get rid of her. <laughs> um, and just the comedy that ensues we'll definitely talk about, but that's the basis of it. And Danny DeVito, his wife is Bette Midler. And um, I don't, I don't know the, I know one of the one of the kidnappers is Judge Reinhold. I I don't really uh, know much of of Helen Slater, the second one, but um, pretty pretty great. Uh, Mike hadn't even heard of this movie when I suggested it. It came out in nineteen. Nope. Also, Bill Bill Pullman has oh yeah, Bill Pullman is on screen performance. Was that his first before he was before he was yeah before he was president of the United States <laughs> in two different. He's played the president of the United States in like two or three different things. Because he just looks like a politician. Yeah, well, but, not in this movie. Uh, not in this movie. No, he looks like Sean Penn in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High in this movie. Um, uh, yeah, I had literally never heard of this movie before in my life. I, I was, like, insanely surprised because, I mean, there's a ton of shit I haven't seen. But mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of it. And it was from the 1980s, which is, like, not in the context of cinema history, not very old. And but my last forgotten favorite of, was from 2014. So yeah, in the context of your forgotten favorite history, and honestly mine too, um, pretty pretty back there. So I, I don't, James, I do not know how you, 
I mean, now I do because your mom, because you told me about your mom. Um, but I, I, I did not know how you found this movie before. Yeah, no, and I don't know how I could ever forget this movie. I mean, just, just the, like the cast, the cast, the two main stars, I think Danny DeVito and Bette Midler are two of my favorites throughout the cinema history. Like, um, I, I love Bette Midler so much. <laughs> she could do anything. And, um, uh, I, in, in fairness, the first movie I saw Bette Midler in was actually Hocus Pocus, uh, which is not her best, but still a fun one. <laughs> That's and, literally, that was not only my introduction to her, but for the longest time, my only exposure to Bette Midler I know. on film. Yeah. I, I will admit it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but yeah, and then in this one, she sort of had that same, like, uh, out, outrageous uh, personality um, that is just, I just love, and that, that's sort of like the, this movie shtick is in its outrageousness, and, um, the only two people who want to be, quote-unquote, ruthless, the kidnappers, are the, hands down, the least ruthless people. They're the most sympathetic characters in the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a scene early on, it's pretty obvious, but it's, it's a comedy film, we're not looking for, you know, too much subtlety here, um, with... the stereo scene? No, no, the stereo scene is pretty... Ne- that's later in the movie, I think, but... Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a scene early on where he's talking with his wife uh, after they kidnap. She's having second thoughts, and he's saying, well, we've got to be ruthless. And in the meantime, this whole conversation, he's seeing... He sees a spider on the on the kitchen... In the kitchen, and he picks it up with a newspaper, and he brings it outside. And, and while he's saying this, he's like, let's, uh, <laughs> let's not be good people. Let's be assholes and get rich. Um, and then he closes the door... And then, it, like, five seconds later, he comes back out and stomps the spider. It's like, yeah, got him. Like, it just, it's a, one of those tiny little moments that is both entertaining and sets that these characters are in way over their heads, especially when confronted with Danny DeVito, who would happily let his wife be murdered by kidnappers. It's, it's. Oh, he's ecstatic. Thing. Also, isn't it kind of like it's weirdly heartwarming to have a scene like that in a you know what is essentially a very black comedy? Um, and actually, James, I kind of wanted to because you're on the you're on the. This is your segment. I I'm I'm I want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Go for ultimately, it, go for you it. are the one nominating this movie, mm-hmm. so I did kind of want to you know pick your brain about your opinions on black comedy. Um, particularly what makes something, what, what makes the, like, almost, like, what makes the darker points of ruthless people stick in a way that something like God Bless America just completely dropped the ball on? Ooh, man, that's a... Because, I mean, and I, I, I don't feel like it's irrelevant to bring that up because I feel like both are, like, I mean, they're both pretty unabashed, like, like just kind of dictionary definitions of black comedy. Why does one, we both hate God bless America a lot. What makes ruthless people successful for you in a way that God bless America, in a way that makes God bless America by that criteria, God bless America is terrible for you. That was a terrible way to word it, but you know what I mean? I, yeah, I understand what you mean. How does it <laughs> Sorry. But you're asking me, how does Ruthless People succeed as a black comedy the way that a movie like God Bless America does not succeed, yes? Perfect, yes, that's exactly it. Okay, it's it's tough for me to answer that without just going talking about that's how all right. go I ahead. hate go, Bobcat go right. Goldthwait, but uh, 
Um, yeah, I, I would say one ruthless people is completely, I would completely devoid of of this like ham-handed like social social commentary. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say it's completely completely uh it doesn't have anything there it's not trying but it's not it doesn't make that it's forefront you know it's not trying to make a statement about how people are it's just uh an examination of uh how people could be and the and the ridiculousness that is with people like the danny devito this, this greedy uh, hateful person i think it's differences that these are the main difference i'm looking trying to get at is that this movie tell says its points whatever they are through its characters, whereas God Bless America and Bobcat Goldthwait uh, uses his characters to say points. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point. Not no, no pun intended. Um, I also would argue that like actually I think you kind of put your finger on it a bit when you're talking about that scene with the. Spider, the spider, and, yeah. <laughs> and also like in, you know the later scene with where like uh, oh yeah he fi- uh, so the Judge scene- oh go ahead yeah yeah I just I, I love this one so uh, he, he Judge Reinhold is tired of being pushed around by by Sam Stone who's who at this point has been haggling down the the ransom price um, because he and he really doesn't care anyway he's just trying to get him off his back leading to one of the most hilarious lines. I think in, in like comedy movie history, which is which is Bette Midler saying she's I, been kidnapped oh, by Kmart. Kmart's so <laughs> yeah, good. She's like, I'm I'm being marked down. I've been kidnapped by Kmart. As far as I'm concerned, that that belongs on the AFI's list of greatest movie quotes of all time. Yeah, no, it should. That's, I don't know. It might, I wonder if it's already on there. <laughs> um, it's not. It's not. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm currently compl- I'm writing a strongly worded letter now. Yeah, but so Judge Reinhold is tired of being pushed around by Sam Stone, and he's like, "Okay, I'm finally gonna, I'm finally gonna really screw someone over when in stereo sales. I'm gonna sell him this, this. I'm gonna sell this young punk this speaker system that's way too overpriced, which has already been established as overpriced earlier in the movie. Uh, when he when he you know sells himself as this good guy stereo salesman, um, but you know he's just kind of gonna sell it, and I'm gonna do use all the cheap." The cheap ways to do so. I'm gonna say, don't worry about not affording it, blah blah blah. But then he sees that this person he's trying to sell to has a is has a young, very pregnant wife, and he completely reverts and says, no wait, let me show you something else. It's it's not it's not very big, it's not very loud, but it'll it, do the job and not, it won't break the bank. It's it's not gonna break you. <laughs> I yeah. Don't, I don't know why I don't know why that line stuck out, but he's just like, it's not gonna break you. Yeah. There's like so, something I don't I don't know like. I don't want it to make it seem like I, I don't want my dark comedies to have teeth. I do, but there has to be like some sort of like reason why you want to make these dark points. Some like justification for humanity to exist. That, like that's it. It's just like the bare basic like uh, pretext of like of of warm sincerity that I need in a dark comedy, and this definitely nailed it and this is not a movie that softens its ending by any means um they 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 they, someone dies and they embezzle a lot of money like it's not a happy it's it's not a unironically happy ending um 
So it doesn't pull its punches, but it's still like, I don't know, it's got a weird, like, tiny bit of warmth at its center, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That sounds really like for sure. That sounds really hallmarky to describe that way. I don't want people to put. I don't want that to put people off of it. Well, I I like the point you made that you know someone dies and they embezzle a lot of money. Like they are, they do still do some like serious stuff, but it's it's played off in a way that that uh, it makes Danny DeVito's character get some comeuppance as, uh, um, and I don't know. It's 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 cathartic and some reason to follow these characters. I need some reason to. To be believable, they just need to be like, they just need to have recognize, you know, something I can latch on to. Yeah, no, I, th- I don't know. I think it was definitely there. I, oh, no, man, it I, was. I'm not arguing it wasn't. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of God Bless America, where like, oh, yeah, God. His problem with humanity was that American Idol is vapid, stupid. Yeah, it's, and the thing is, like the, the way that you know. Uh, the way that ruthless people played his points was by was through its lead characters saying like what when confronted with this uh, this level of depravity what do good people do you know you if if mm-hmm. I wanted to really analyze the the themes of this really get down it that would be it but it didn't go around making jokes it didn't have his characters make jokes while they talk about the this this theme you know yeah yeah um honestly James. I don't know if you thought about this, but this like this definitely seems like a spiritual precursor to a movie like um, like Burn After Reading, or even just like like I could like legitimately see the Coen Brothers remaking this movie. Yeah, no, there's. I mean, it, it has these very fatalist implications. The, the stuff and, they well, like to also, talk it's about. It's just like ridiculous. Like the point, like the plot, which um, I think Dean Siskel said, like the plot could have been insanely simplistic with just like a really like stupid broad prem like the 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 broad premise that it presents in the beginning and just kind of not like stayed in the wall with that for two minutes for an hour and a half and been good not not good but it would have just like called it a day but Mm -hmm. uh they (laughs) they really convolute this thing in not not a not i'm not saying that as a criticism and like as a (laughs) they it's it's layered. Like, yeah, it's it's a it's a comedy of manners that just shows how fucking you know complex and knotted up human depravity can be. Like you said. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, like, m- meanwhile, that Sam Sam Stone, d- that's Danny DeVito's character, has a mistress um, who be- who actually believes that his wife was that the kidnapping was all, is all a hoax, and it's just been and he c- invented that story to play off the fact that he he murdered his wife um and she's trying to blackmail him with the tape of the murder um so you taken know, by bill pullman taken by bill pullman who is an idiot uh in this uh, movie the, the dumbest the dumbest person on earth is i believe what the cops call him at one point yeah i mean yeah, i think this is the stupidest man on earth yeah stupidest man on earth um, yeah, and that that plot line is just hilarious too because instead of filming what he thinks is Sam murdering somebody because he's really dumb, he films um, who, the police, the chief police of police, uh, yeah. having sex with a prostitute, the the married chief of police having sex with a prostitute, who um, he who he pays to scream as loud as she possibly can, which he then construes as uh, murder murder cries. Mur- yeah, yeah, cries for help. Um, cries for help. Yeah, and then people see this tape a few times and they, you know, they're like, Oh, I can't watch this. And then 
Um, people having two different conversations is so is so prevalent in this movie, and it happens when she's talking with the police chief because she sends the tape to him and says like, "I'm tired of this. He needs to go down." And it's like, "You need to arrest Sam Stone." And he's like, "For what?" <laughs> uh, because. It's not a murder tape. It's a sex tape. Yep. <laughs> and they do that having two different conversations earlier in the movie, too, with, with uh, Sam Stone talking to his mistress about the kidnapping. He says, oh, I couldn't have, I couldn't have planned anything better. Uh, I couldn't have thought of anything better. And she's like, oh, you, so you killed him and, and pretended it was a kidnapping. And it, that's just, it's left unsaid. Um, they, they do a lot with that. And it's, it's really great comedy. Yeah. Because it's also, situational. Like, oh, it's great comedy. There's also, like, wonderful... Even besides, like, just having dialogue that could be interpreted two different ways, they also have, like... The things in comedy I'm always looking for, which is, like, visuals that contradict what's spoken. Um, which is, like, a really simple concept, but it's weirdly effective because I don't see it that much. It, it really sticks out to me when I see it in something like this. Like, even the end scene... Um, or one of, you know, toward the end when uh, Bette Midler reconnects with Danny DeVito after, you know, having been through this whole ordeal and obviously knowing his ruse and, and his plot to have her murdered. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they uh, you know, embrace and the cops walk away and they're still framed and Danny DeVito and Bette Midler are still framed in the background. The cops are just like, boy, they sure must, ha- they sure have a great marriage. I wish I, you know, I wish we, I think we all wish we could have something like that. And Bette Miller's just like beating Dane DeVito up in the background and like kicking him over the side of the pier. Yeah, it's the culmination of it. It's, yeah. Like, I, it just, that sounds simple and it's like not particularly like, if you haven't seen the movie, it doesn't sound great describing it, but it's like weirdly effective how just how much something like that can influence how hard you laugh at a scene. Um, and how rare that is now for some reason. Like, exactly. I was just about to say this movie (laughs) sort of makes me reevaluate the sort of the environment right now that comedy films are in and what they're trying to play to. Uh, cause this is definitely, you're not going to see a comedy movie like this nowadays released. Yeah. It's true. And, and, like, when you get a movie that's a quote-unquote dark comedy now, unless, of course, it's... I mean, really, the Coen brothers are the ones I think of who make great dark comedies. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's not, you know, if it's not them, you get something that's just, like, senselessly broad um, and, like, just dark for sake of nihilism, basically, and without any real sense of purpose or conviction or, like... Or, or a sense of audience, really. They're just depressing to watch, um, and not in a like not in a way that makes you think. It's just, it's just because the like I don't know why the filmmaker is making this movie. They are, yeah. Know, and a lot of times, dark comedies get confused. Purposeless. They just think that darkness is funny inherently. Um, yeah, it's just like oh, how fuck you know how fucked up can we be? How ha 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, I even. even it, Danny role in this film even seems like a precursor to his character on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which, you know, pretty much exclusively just a garbage people. Yeah. They're not literally, they're not literally, sorry, they're not literally garbage people. They work at a bar, but they're just, they're just sick human beings. Yeah, exactly. No, he's, Danny DeVito is really good. He's shown throughout his career, he's really good at playing these depraved people. So this was like, this role was like made for him. Yeah. And I don't know, I feel like 
I feel like there's a larger conversation to have that I'm not nearly prepared for right now, but about like where we stand with regard to like a lack of, you know, moral center in comedy because it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Most like, like that's a movie with zero um, team show, zero vindication for any of its characters. Like there's no, you know, there, there's, there's no defending these people. <laughs> there's no defending these people, and there's no, you know, sense of, you know, a warm center there. There's no, like, ultimate final happy ending for them or, or vindication at all. It's just... But yet, people... I, I love that show. I respond very well to it, and I'd love to mm-hmm. do more, like... I'd love to have a better understanding of why something like that is okay with me, but something like God Bless America isn't. Yeah, I mean, and and and, all, and why something like Ruth, ruthless people to me is the happy medium between the two. Yeah, um, or not between the two. You know, it's it's between like a you know a warm feel good fuzzy comedy that's got no balls and something like <laughs> you know God Bless America, which just is is drenched in nihilism. Yeah, I mean, we just thinking about it, we did really gloss over the idea that our criteria of a forgotten favorite that I'm supposed to prove that it is forgotten that's, and that it shouldn't be. I'm but sorry, uh, yeah, that, That's kind of what I meant by you're on the defensive tonight. But uh, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah. it's easy, easily, you could say it is forgotten. It's from 30 years ago, A, no one's ever heard of it. I, yeah. I never heard of it. I, like, like you, I didn't ask because I didn't even feel you needed to convince me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, and then I, I definitely <laughs> think it should, on it, for, for me, this is, if I were to make a, like, even a, I think even a, like a top five comedies of say all time, this would at, at least enter the discussion in my mind. It definitely top ten, so it's it's up there. Um, I, I so I'm you might not be as high on it as that, but uh, it's you know I'm I'm not sure at this point. I, I there's just honestly there's admittedly a lot of comedy history that I have not been exposed to. Yeah, and, and that's true. So this is this is from my very my very limited uh, perspective, and it, it, uh, um, I mean, ter- especially in the grand scheme of, of uh, comedy films, but still, it's definitely it definitely highlights something about the Zucker's the Zucker Abrams like uh, or Abrahams not Abrams J.J. <laughs> Abrams the, the Zucker brothers Abrams Abrahams dynamic for comedy beyond just a spoof movie context yeah you know you thinking about this too this is really their first like movie that wasn't it didn't fall within that um sort of category well it was actually their first movie they didn't write um i'm not i i'm not entirely sure that they um that every single other one of their films i know actually i think they were pretty much all spoof movies and they they kind Mm -hmm. of like created the i created the conception of what a spoof movie was um or at least evolved it from what mel brooks invented um and kind of led into a, the scary movie franchise, and that kind of created a whole downward spiral. But like, I, I, I would call ruthless people their sort of proof of concept that you know they could do. Yeah, other there you things. go. That's, that's great. Well, and and it, I feel like it functions under a similar vein of comedy that made something like Airplane work, but without the, you know, without the structural reference of this is a spoof movie where we're employing things you've seen in other movies to comedic effect. Like they can still generate comedic, like the sim- similar comedic effects without l- leaning on the pretext of spoof. And the value of that is like, you can see how that comedy works because we've seen something like scary movie 
or even worse, the later, you know, movie movies that, that, that are content with pop cultural reference mm-hmm. as, as, as a means of comedy, which is, you know, they've, they've evolved beyond the need for jokes, apparently. Um, yeah, referential humor has become one of the weakest forms of comedy, especially well, in cinema. It's awful, and that you know, I'm not going to pretend like that's a novel observation. Um, but I I appreciate this movie particularly because I feel like it l- allowed me to understand a bit more about how the comedy in Airplane works. Because I've seen Airplane three or four times, um, and you know, they employ similar it, it, visually. They employ humor similarly here as they do there things you know coming off screen or contradicting what you see with what you hear or you know something like that um and i just this movie allowed me to see it a bit more clearly so um even just for that i appreciate it it's also a fantastic film in and of itself so um i for every single reason we've just discussed um i i agree with you james i think this is a wonderful forgotten favorite choice (laughs) Good, I'm glad. I'm gonna. I, I might like try to. If I still have any time on my rental, I might watch it again before it runs out because it's it's a good laugh for sure, at very least. Yeah. And this, despite its its dumb characters at times, it's really it's really smart comedy and it does have great performances by just beloved actors. Um, so you would be doing yourself a disservice if you did, didn't see this movie, especially if you're, yeah, you're a guy who loves comedy. I am even more of a Bette Midler fan now after I've seen this movie. Like, holy <laughs> fuck, shit. Her comic timing is, like, so precise. It's, it's just dynamite, yeah. <laughs> great. When she's on the phone with him, uh, you know, from the high tower, um, and she's, like, sp- like, sp- like spraggly interjecting, like, you stupid fucking pig asshole! It's like, oh, I'm sorry, they made me say that. Yeah, there, there's actually, you reminded me of some some more, like, directorial, you know, comedy, some visual comedy, um, right after Bette Midler's first kidnapped and they pull her off, she's like, my husband worships the ground I walk on, when he hears about this, he will explode, and it cuts immediately to Danny DeVito opening a glass, opening a bottle of champagne, Yep, yep. and he's yep. like, ha ha ha. So oh, man. it's it's not, it's really really smart really funny stuff. So see yeah. it if you haven't, and if you're one of those few people who have, awesome. Like let's let's do this. Let's let's yeah, enjoy this make, movie together. Make it not make it not hipster to know about this movie. This should be a more <laughs> widely seen film. I I don't. Yeah, I. This is this is the point of this segment. Like this perfectly satisfies the point of the segment. I I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to be doing more uh, segments yeah. that are not reviews, and it's I'm excited about that. We've been pretty stuck in, stuck in that uh, rut, that review rut for a while, so I'm glad we're branching yeah, out. Yeah, and you know, with any luck, we can get better at planning them, and we can make them more integrated with the theme of like whatever film is we're talking about that week, just to kind of mm-hmm. create a more conceptual discussion. Because to me, I feel like reviews are stronger when they're not just, oh, should I spend money on this movie? Um, because that becomes irrelevant in three weeks or so. Um, mm-hmm. But having a discussion about film theme, film technique, whatever, film history, um, that's that's more constructive and more valuable, I think. So the more we can incorporate that into shows, I think the better. Um, yeah, and that uh, we're brain more high. Yeah, and this high. The, we've been playing this one in particular high concept episode. Um, that I think is very close to happening. So uh, I do too. I do too. 
keep um, an eye out for that. I'm going to talk to Mike about that after after the show ends. So, mm-hmm. but I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I mean, do you have anything else? Is it, I think it's been. You know, I, I, I don't think so. What are our plans currently for the the film of the week next week? Or films, if we want to get ambitious with it. Film or films. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, I did this week I saw Grandma, which is... Um, I was about to say what I thought of it. Um, <laughs> uh, spoilers, James. Spoilers. No, let's not do that. But, yeah, I saw Grandma. I saw Major in the Scorch Trials. But I think... Although I might want some mention of Grandma if you've seen it, because it's not one of those movies that's going to have much of a release anyway, if you could see it. I think next week, <laughs> the, I mean, the intern, it's... Hotel Transylvania 2. Oh, God. When, when are the Oscar movies coming? Oh, they're coming. I think, I think we had one this week. I, I don't think it's going to really... I don't, I don't really know how Black Mass is going to do in that regard, but I, I think it was definitely going for the prestige. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, I think those are the only major films coming out. Um, yeah, and geez. so, The Intern and Hotel Transylvania 2. Okay. I, I guess I might see The Intern, depending on if Sicario has released. I really hope it has. But then the week after that, we're set. We're set until January, so... Uh, cool cool okay yeah. that's good that's good yeah and then it'll be fun but i think uh for now we can just we can just call the show yeah yeah uh, i was giving you a chance to steal it from me again but fine. oh but it was a great show this week and it's gonna be a great show next week and as always james how do you end it what's the last one what's the last thank you for listening and as always thank you for listening